let's look back in Matthew 7 and verse 15. Matthew 7 and verse 15 is a continuation of what Jesus has already been teaching us as we are going through the Sermon on the Mount and very slowly making our way to the end of it. I want you to remember what we read in verses 13 and 14 as he begins his conclusion, his application. So in, in light of that, I want to read back up in verse 13 and read what we looked at last Sunday all the way into what we're going to talk about this morning. So back in verse 13, Jesus says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, or the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Father, please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law today. Amen. Previously, we've, we looked last week at Jesus' instruction here to follow through the narrow gate. To follow Christ, we, to, we are to enter through a narrow gate. But now we read that there's a danger involved. In verses 13 and 14, there's a danger waiting at the end of the wide path, the destruction. But this danger is a different one. This danger lies outside of the gate, particularly outside of the narrow gate. As Jesus explained already, the narrow gate is hard to enter, difficult to walk down. And one reason that we find it to be so is because of these people here that Jesus calls false prophets. John Broadus, uh, an old, an old uh, uh, theologian, wrote, In your efforts to find and enter the narrow gate, the straightened way, beware of those who would mislead you. Alas, it is not enough that we have personally so much difficulty in finding the way to life, and that so many set us a bad example. There are others who deliberately attempt to lead us astray. These deceivers, these false prophets are one reason why I think so many people miss the narrow life gate and find themselves on a broad path leading to destruction. Because they trust somebody who speaks with authority and uses convincing words to steer people away from the narrow gate and draw them down a path leading to, as verses 13 and 14 teaches, destruction, as verses 15 through 20 teaches, fire of destruction. Jesus describes these false prophets here as ravenous or ra ravening, ravaging wolves. The wolf is often used in the Bible. Here's a little, little Bible trivia tip. Um, the, the wolf is often used in the Bible as, as, as an example, but there's not actually a reference of a wolf in the Bible, as far as I, as far as I was looking at. So uh, next time you want to impress someone with uh, useless information, there you go. The wolf is a, is a characteristic, though, used throughout the Scriptures to, de de to define certain people. Uh, it is uh, used also in various literature, as if you're familiar with Aesop's fables and things like that. The wolf is used very often to describe someone because they, they have similar characteristics. 
Wolves are known for their ferociousness. They're known for their greedy behavior. When Jesus calls these false prophets ravenous wolves, He is emphasizing their vicious and destructive nature. Wolf can pose a great threat, particularly to a flock of unsuspecting and defenseless sheep. But wolves are also known for their cunning and their craftiness and their ability to subtly sneak in to a, amongst the flock and do great harm to their prey. Wolves are definitely not friendly creatures, nor are they ones that we can trust, nor that we should not trust them. Wolves, as described through these uh, through passages like this, are the enemy. They are a dangerous enemy. They have one goal, to destroy and to devour. Now the people in, in the audience that Jesus was speaking to here would have had a pretty good understanding as we read a lot of uh, the, she- the culture of, of uh, being a shepherd is, is very, very uh, plain in uh, the Jewish lifestyle. And so they, they would have been very familiar as Jesus likened these false prophets to ravening wolves. They would be very familiar with what, what a wolf can do to a flock. Many of them might have even known firsthand the, the damage and the destruction that a wolf can do to a flock. And so now Jesus says, watch out for false prophets because they can, like a ravenous wolf, come in and destroy the flock. These wolves don't present themselves as the enemy first, but as one of the flock. They come appearing as sheep, waiting for an opportunity to strike. Now in Acts chapter 20, Paul warned the elders of the Ephesian church to do the same thing. He told them to be on guard against false teachers and to behave like shepherds uh, with their church. And he called the church a flock of sheep. And he warned them that false prophets, when he left, false prophets would come in like fierce wolves and attack the church, not sparing any of the flock. But the thing that is most concerning about this is that the, the wolves have the ability to get in and be among the flock before they're recognized. Before, we we don't recognize them until the damage has already begun. And Paul warns them of this. And the danger here uh, that Paul warned them about, and the danger here that Jesus warns about, is that many will be drawn away from the church. They'll be drawn away from the truths of the Scriptures. And consequently drawn away from Christ Himself. Now, in Matthew 25, Jesus describes a separation between sheep and goats. If you're familiar with the passage, you know what I'm talking about, but you can look at it later to to familiarize yourself with it. And in that passage, Jesus described what's going to happen in in the judgment day. And He says that the sheep and the goats will be separated one from the other. The sheep will be set on the right hand, and the goats, those who, the sheep are those who belong to Christ, are set on the right hand, and the goats, those who do not belong to Christ, are set on the left hand. And it is the goats who are uh, sent to an eternal punishment. And Matthew Henry is helpful here. He, re- he writes, every hypocrite is a goat in sheep's clothing. Meaning, they look like the sheep, but they're not, and they will be separated one day. But he continues and he says, a false prophet is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Not only not a sheep, but the worst enemy the sheep have that comes not but to tear and to devour, to scatter the sheep, to drive them from God and from one another into crooked paths. And unfortunately, the danger that Jesus describes to them in Matthew 7 
and the danger that Paul described in Acts 20 and the danger that that it continues to be pronounced all throughout the New Testament is a danger we face today. We, too, must learn to beware the sheep, I'm sorry, the wolves in sheep's clothing. So if you're following along through your outline there, I'm not going to particularly mention each of the points, but I think you'll figure out where we are as we go through it. As Jesus gives us this warning at the very beginning, beware of false prophets, He doesn't leave us there simply with a warning. He doesn't kind of describe to us the danger and then walk away leaving us without hope. He he provides a way for us to recognize these threatening spiritual predators. He goes down into verse 16 and says that we will know or recognize these wolves by their fruit. Now, all of a sudden, you have to be paying attention. He has, he has changed the analogy because he was just talking about wolves and sheep's clothing, and now he's talking about fruit. He's talking about trees. And so we have to make sure that we make the shift over to what he's now talking about, trees and fruit, painting this different picture in our minds. Jesus compared all prophets and teachers, true and false alike, to fruit-bearing trees. Now, there are good, healthy trees, and there are bad, corrupt, diseased trees. And how are we going to know the difference? By the fruit. I'm not a horticulturalist. I don't even know if that's what you are, if you know what trees, you know how to tell the difference between trees. I'm not, not even that good. Some of you might be. You can walk up to a tree and say, that's an alder, that's a fir. I can say, that one's a tree. That one's a tree. That one's a tall tree. That one's not as tall. That's about as far as I go. But one thing I know how to do is to walk up to a tree that has apples on it and identify it as an apple tree. And I can walk up to a tree that has oranges and say, that there's an orange tree. Pay attention, kids, and learn something. And that's how Jesus says how we're going to define who is a false prophet and who is a true prophet. We will know them by their fruits. You'll notice at the very end of verse 20, he says it again, kind of uh, uh, parentheses around this teaching here. Every tree, Jesus said, produces fruit, but only good trees produce good fruit. Notice first in, in, in verse number 17 that Jesus says that every good and healthy tree produces good fruit. Notice, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Every Good tree brings forth, produces good fruit. And bad trees produce bad fruit. Here, each tree bears its own kind of fruit. Now notice in verse 18 that a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So here we see that good fruit only comes from good trees. So every good tree produces good fruit, and only good trees produce good fruit. And that's what Jesus meant when he asked rhetorically up in verse number 16, you know, do you expect to find grapes on a thorn bush? Of course not. Do you expect to find figs from a thistle? No. Now, they might look similar from a distance, but as you inspect them closely, you realize that's not what I thought it was going to be. And that's what Jesus is asking here. The answer is, of course not, because every kind of tree bears its own fruit. You know, uh, you go down to Johnson's Nursery or wherever you're going to go and you're going to uh, you know, buy some plant and on there it's got a little tag and it says orange tree. And as long as the person selling it to you has correctly labeled it as an orange tree, you're going to expect oranges from that tree. 
unless you're you know just completely clueless about how nature works, you're not going to come out next summer and expect to find lemons. If you did, you would not say, look at that orange tree producing lemons. You would say, that guy sold me a lemon tree because you recognize it by the fruit. So every tree bears fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit and only good trees bear good fruit. It's important because he's he's logicking through something to help us to understand this. This week I went through and began, and he's basically eliminated any loopholes in what he's saying here, and he's and he's getting and he's getting somewhere with us here. And that is this the fruit reveals the root. Okay? The fruit on the outside reveals what it actually is down beneath the surface. This means that bad trees cannot and will not produce good fruit because at their core, they're corrupt. They're diseased. Likewise, you will not find bad fruit on a good tree. And this is very important because the fruit is how we are going to discern between good and bad prophets. We don't have prophets in this day and time, but we have teachers, and it's the same principle. We will discern between the good and the bad teachers by the fruit they bear. False prophets in that day might have foretold things that sounded good and even sounded right, but eventually they would be proven worthless and wrong. In the same way, today, a false teacher, or to use the analogy from verse 15, a wolf in sheep's clothing, might first appear to be good and healthy and even helpful. But the end result, Jesus promises here, is not good. Their fruit is corrupt. It's wicked. It's worthless. So we look down in verse 19 and we see that fruit, uh, trees that don't produce good fruit will be destroyed. So he has, de- he has described them to us now and he tells us the end, the result, the consequence of not bearing good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down or cut down and cast into the fire. This is the similar destruction that we find at the end of the wide and broad way at the end of verse number 13. Since every good tree produces good fruit, as we've already seen, this means that bad trees which do not produce good fruit are the ones that he's going to be cut down. He didn't say here that bad trees are going to be cut down. He says that trees that don't bring forth good fruit are going to be cut down. And we know from the previous verses that those can only be bad trees because at the core is what is, it determines what the fruit is going to be. So uh, Jesus is saying here that bad trees not producing good fruit are the ones that will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And these words here remind us of what John the Baptist preached all the way back in chapter 3. If you remember his message, he said in verse 10, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is also the same message that the Apostle John wrote about near the end of the first century when he wrote in his letter that many false prophets are come into the world, are gone out into the world. And the early Christians had heard that they were coming and John warned them, they're already here. They are in the world already. These false prophets or bad trees never entered the narrow gate themselves. They entered a wide gate. They walked down a broad way and they are headed for destruction. They're destroyed because they're on the wide path. And we know they're on the wide path 
because they bear bad fruit or they do not bear good fruit. Not only do they have bad fruit, but if you look down in verse 22, that they did not do the work of the Father. And verse number, um, yeah, verse number 20, uh, 22, and then verse 22 as well, they were not known by Christ. Verse 23 there, I never knew you. So at the end of our passage in verse 20, we see here that Jesus repeats his solution to our problem, our danger here. How do God's people, that's us, how do we guard against false prophets and false teachers? We look for the fruit. Simple as that. We look to see their fruit. We identify true sheep, as we'll see in a few verses, and we specifically identify true shepherds by good, healthy fruit. Those dressed like sheep who would try to draw those away from uh, from following Christ and would try to draw us to follow after them are in fact headed for destruction which then leads us to understand that anyone who follows after them are also headed for destruction. And we can avoid that fate by recognizing the fruit they produce. So, natural question, what is the fruit? I mean, we don't actually bear physical fruit, right? What is the fruit that he's talking about here? Well, I understand this to mean two different things. First, I think this is, is very true to say that the fruit is whatever is being produced in their personal lives. Paul wrote to us, and uh, he wrote to the Galatians uh, about the Spirit of God producing fruit in true believers. We we know it. We call it the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians five twenty two. Things such as love, joy, peace, kindness, uh, gentleness, goodness, faith. All of these all of these fruits of the Spirit here, and the Spirit of God uh, gives those or produces those in true believers. And only those who have entered by the narrow gate receive the Spirit of God who then produces these qualities in our lives as we walk in Him. Galatians 5.22-25 Now the other meaning of fruit, I believe, is found in the parallel passage to this one in Matthew 7, which is in Luke chapter 6. And if you have time again, you want to read some of those verses later on, I'll read them to you, but if you want to look before them and after them, and you'll see a lot of similarities to what we've been talking about. Luke 6.43 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of, the, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It is out of the overflow of whatever is in our heart that we speak. So the fruit of a false teacher will be revealed in what he teaches. It only makes sense. And again, the Apostle John is helpful here because he instructed his readers in, in 1 John and 2 John uh, to, to identify these false spirits and false prophets. And he said in 1 John 3, he asked the question, he said, well, what are they saying about Jesus? Do they confess that Jesus has come as God in the flesh? He goes, if they do, then, then they are of, of the right spirit. If they're not, then they're not of the right spirit. He asks in 2 John verse 9, do they continue in the teachings of Christ? And if they don't, John writes to them, 
that they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. That's why they do it. Because they're only revealing the root that is within them. It's because the root is not good, therefore the fruit is not either. So, what do we do about it? We know that, all right, I'm going to identify the false teachers and 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 and, and I got to do it by the fruit. What 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 is the application here? What is the what is the the the, the to do part of this teaching? If we understand the danger here of false wool, of false sheep, wolves, and bad trees, and and we understand why it's important to recognize these wolves, what are we going to do about it? Well, let me allow me to offer a few practical applications to Jesus' teaching. The first action that we can take is to never let our guard down when the Word of God is being presented to us. When someone stands and claims to speak either God's words or on behalf of God, we must be on guard. Just because a preacher or a Bible teacher claims to be such doesn't mean that everything they say is going to be right. Uh, Right now, I'm presenting God's Word to you. I'm trying to expound the Scripture, say this is what the Scripture says, this is what the Scripture means, and this is what you've got to do with it. That's, that's what preaching is. Preaching is when one person speaks to, God, uh, speaks to man on behalf of God. That's what preaching is. And, and really, the, the basis of what I preach has to be God's Word. If I'm going to speak on behalf of God, I have to use God's words. Does that, that, make, that only makes sense. And so, uh, this is why we need to be on guard. Preachers are God's messengers. We are heralds. Everything that God wants us to know about Him is in the Scriptures. Okay? So that means that, that when a preacher stands or a teacher is going to teach the Bible, they have to do it with the Bible. Is that not the craziest thing you've ever heard? If I'm going to teach the Bible, i got to actually use the Bible and according to the Bible. Two things there. I've actually got to use the Bible and I've got to make sure that it agrees with what the Bible says. All right, That's what the responsibility of preaching is. And so for us as a church, how do we apply this? We must insist that preaching and teaching done here in this church be founded and based on the truths of Scripture. It's important. Uh, because only the authority of the Bible is, is what I speak with. If you take this away, I don't have anything. If you know me well, you know I'm not very good at much. I'm not much good at this either. But this is the one thing that I practice, really, okay? Uh, so if I don't get to step into your life and tell Jeff how to run his, his auto body business. Well, I'm a preacher. Listen to me. I'm a speaker. Well, the Bible doesn't talk about turning wrenches. And I don't get to step into whatever your, your thing is and outside of the Scripture, I have no authority to speak that way. And so, if I'm going to stand here, or if someone is going to teach in one of our ministries or classrooms, they need to, we need to make sure and insist that it be done here. Not out of, well, let me tell you what I think. Well, let me tell you what I heard on the radio. Let me tell you what I did this. Those are all maybe helpful, but it has to be based right here. Now, I am trying to be as careful as I can be to make sure that I'm right there. And I think that the teachers we have try to do that as well. But we as a church must insist that it be done that way. If you ever begin to hear things come from me, from this pulpit that says, 
you know, he never really opened the Bible. There ought to be warning signs going up. You ought to say, hey, excuse me. Maybe, you know, come come afterwards and say, hey, uh, what happened here? You know, what are, what are we doing here? I thought we were coming to, to hear from God, not from you. Not to hear from Reader's Digest or something that you, that you, you, know, you read from some interesting book. Uh, I want to hear from God. So we must be on guard. The ministry of the Word is a serious responsibility. And it's one of the reasons why we see in the New Testament the office of an elder. That's what an elder does. Uh, part of their responsibility to the local church is to closely guard the teaching ministry of the Word. Because though God's Word is infallible, which means that it is, it is reliable, it is without error, it is perfect, men are not. Men are not reliable. Man, it can be mistaken. Their understanding and interpretation can be wrong. And even worse, sometimes men will purposefully deceive by twisting the Scriptures to make them say what they want them to say. So we must guard the public corporate teaching of our church. That means whatever is publicly taught and preached from behind this pulpit and in the classrooms and through our ministries, we must publicly guard against error, against false teaching, against false teachers. We have a, and it is not just for the elders to be wearing and to be on guard. Uh, this is, a, this is a, a corporate thing. This is a church body thing. We all, to some degree, have a responsibility to pay attention to what's being taught and preached in church. You, as a, as a sitter of the church, of the pew right now, have a responsibility to, to make sure that what is being said comes from the scriptures. It's not just for you to trust it. Well, he said it, so it must be true. Ask my wife. That's not how it worked. Ask my kids. I'm trying to get them to believe that. But it's not true. I told, I told uh, Lincoln yesterday, knives have been changed. It was on the radio. It was announced. Knives have changed their name and they, they're calling them spoons now. And he was like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, it's on the radio. You know, and I, and I went on and on and on. And, and then he asked his mother, and she said him straight, and he came back. He goes, that's not true. You know, and I, you know, what kind of father does that? Well, this one. But, you know, but that you don't just take what someone says and say, well, okay, they said it must be okay. I remember talking to a, a, a lady one time and asked her, why do you believe this? And he said, well, that's what pastor teaches. Well, that's kind of good. Maybe pastor's right, but maybe pastor's not. What does the Bible say? That's the important thing. And then we have to get to that point. So we all must be aware of the false prophets. And we all must uh, pay, pay attention and hold our teachers and the preachers accountable to the standard of God's Word. My, my, my desire is that each one of us develop this, this craving for the, the words of God. We, we, we want to have an appetite for God's Word and learn to feast on the truths of God's Word, and then never settle for anything else. I want to be so spoiled in, in getting to learn the Scriptures that when someone does anything else, ew, I'm not satisfied. Those of you meat eaters, those of you who love your meat, you know what I'm talking about? That feeling you get when you come home and all there is is a green salad, no chicken, no nothing. Now, there's nothing wrong with a green salad, some people say. But that feeling like, 
It's not what I'm used to. That's what I want to have when I come to the Bible and I hear, if I hear someone on the radio or I go to a meeting somewhere and they, and they don't really use the Scriptures, they don't open it up, I want to feel like, oh, that's not what I like. It's not the Word. Learn to crave the good fruit from the teaching of the Word. And you'll have no taste for whatever false teachers have to offer. Not only must we guard the public teaching within our church, we also have to guard the private teaching within our own homes. As parents, we have a responsibility to make sure that our children are taught the truths of God's Word. And when false doctrine presents itself, we need to be able to identify it as such and reject it and to get that out of there. Elders and leaders of a church can guard and direct and oversee the teachings within a church, but we don't really have that say within your own home. I don't know what you're what you listen to or read at home. I don't know what your kids hear at home or at school, but you do. Hopefully you do. You should. And we've got to guard against that. We've got to make sure. What, what, are, what are we reading at home? What are we, who are we listening to outside of this? I know who's going to be here. And I do my best to make sure that whoever stands here is going to speak the right things and say the right things. But I don't know what's going to happen on the radio while you're driving. I don't know who you're going to watch on TV, or I don't know who you're going to read from some book that you got, and there's a danger there. We have a tremendous opportunity in this age, this technological age, to learn and to know the truth. Literally, we have hundreds of years, we have centuries worth of rich doctrinal teaching. We have books that go way back that teach us some of the, some of the wonderful truths of Christ and the Bible. But this blessing can also be a danger because that same vast amount of resources also has a lot of garbage. It also has a lot of error there. And, and I hope you realize that not everything that is in print and not everything that's online and not everything that's on the, on the air is actually true. We, we must beware. Just because someone is popular or well-known or calls himself a Christian doesn't make him a good tree. Just because someone wrote a best-selling book or has a long list of titles and degrees after his or her name doesn't make them have good fruit. Having a blog, a radio ministry, even a large church is no guarantee of good fruit. The only way we can know if a preacher or a teacher is speaking the truth is by their fruit. The product, how they live, and what they teach. We've got to ask ourselves, as they teach, what are the implications of the message they're, they're teaching? What follows from this? If I take what you're saying and, and, and extend that out, what's going to be the result? Does this agree? With the Scripture? Does it fall in line with all of the Bible doctrine? Does it lead me to Christ or does it draw me away from Him? We must never let our guard down. We must always beware. But secondly, if we're going to guard the truth, you got to know what it is. got to know what the truth is if you're going to guard against it. We must be able to examine what is taught. Compare it with the truth. We must carefully listen when God's Word is presented to us. Don't be a lazy hearer. Don't just sit and say, okay, you know, garbage in, garbage out. 
uh, this is hopefully you're recognizing what is not garbage and what is garbage. But don't just sit here and say, okay, we're at church, so it must be true. Here we go. No. Follow along. Use your Bible. Take notes. Write down things that are interesting to you or unfamiliar to you or even confusing to you. Have you ever heard a preacher say something that you, maybe the way that he crafted the sentence or maybe you just misheard it or maybe you were kind of daydreaming and all of a sudden you jump back into the service because I know we all do that. And, and all of a sudden you heard something and you go, what? Did he just say what I think he said? If that happens, write it down and go and find out. Because that's how we contain, that's how we guard the truth. If you hear someone say something that you think, hmm, that is contrary to these verses. Maybe the person saying it was right and you have a, a doctrinal thing to figure out, but maybe what they said was wrong. It's happened to me a couple of times where I just, as I'm speaking, I say something, and I don't mean the way I say it, but I say it, and then someone has come to me and said, did you mean this because you said this? And both times that it's happened to me that I can remember, I said, no, that's not what I meant. Sorry, I didn't say that. Now, sometimes people say, did you mean this when you said this? And I goes, I didn't even talk about that. What are you talking about? So, you know, pay attention. You know, the, but that, that's, that's, what, that's what we have to do to guard the truth. It, it, it develop a, personal ha- a habit of personal Bible study. Learn to dig into the Scriptures on your own. And it is my joy and my privilege, as Pastor Sears, you can attest to for the last... Uh, 30 plus years to every, literally every day to study the scriptures and to prepare what I could call a spiritual meal to present to you on Sundays. Twice on Sundays. Did you know we have an evening service? I try, I do too. You should come back for that. And, and I do as good as a job as I can. Now I'm not saying that I make the best meals. I'm not a gourmet chef as, as it goes by, by, by spiritual, uh, by spiritual, uh, uh culinary arts. Okay. But I do as best I can. But you got to learn to cook yourself. You know what I mean by that? If this is the only meal you get all week, how strong are you going to be? You've got to learn to do this on your own. It doesn't replace what we're doing right here because the reason we're here is not just for the preaching. But it, but it, it's got to go from this and you've got to learn how to do this Monday through Saturday as well as what is presented to you on Sunday. I hope that we are an exception. I hope this church is not the norm, but sadly, most Christians don't spend much time, if any, reading the scriptures. They don't know how. They don't just, they just don't, they plain don't do it. And we cannot guard the truth if we do not know the truth. We cannot recognize the wolves if we do not know what they look like. We must regularly familiarize ourselves with the truth. We cannot compare truth to what we don't know. So let's be like the Berean church. In Acts 17, they eagerly received the word. And then they examined the teaching. They compared it to the scriptures. What was taught? What does it say in the scriptures? And the Bible says in Acts 17.11 that they examined the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. You just take it and say, all right, that's what I, that's what I think now. They said, I believe this. What you just said, okay. All right, I agree with that. Not because you said it, because he said it. That's how, that needs to be our motto. So, can you spot a wolf? Can you judge between good and bad fruit? Let's learn to practice discernment for our own sakes, 
for our sake as a church. The bad trees will be recognized by the fruit they produce. We must beware. We must practice discernment by knowing the truth and examining fruit by it. As Jesus said earlier, there is only one gate to life, and that is through Him. But there are many who would deceive us and invite us down their own path of destruction. And as John wrote, let us try the spirits to see whether they are of God. For there are many false prophets coming to the world. Now, as children of God, He promises we have overcome because greater is He who is in us than he that is in the world. But we must practice discernment. Because not all who teach, teach the truth. Because not all fruit is good fruit. We must beware, as if life depends on it. We must beware, because the way to life does depend on it. Let's pray.